One of the biggest complaints I hear about perimenopause and menopause isn't just women suffering from symptoms, but it's the lack of information. It is um, the lack of direction from the healthcare system. I mean, just to even figure out what kind of a specialist you need to go to. Uh, can you get testing? Should you get testing? What should we be taking or doing? And the frustration that that can lead to for women who, you know, suffer from lack of sleep or they're gaining weight or they have, you know, low to no libido. It is really, really hard to navigate this time in our lives when we don't have the resources and tools. But fear not, listeners, there are tools. And my goal with the podcast is to continue to introduce you to different um, options, whether it be treatments or supplements or exercise and different opinions on information as well. I believe everyone you know, should should know what their options are so they can choose the course of treatment that fits right with your lifestyle. And speaking of lifestyle, today's podcast, I am joined by Dr. Daniela Stang. She is a medical doctor and a professor in family medicine at McMaster University in Canada, in Hamilton, for those of you local. Um, Dr. Stein has done extensive training in several countries, including South Africa, where she's from, Switzerland, the US, Canada, and this has enabled her to help transform the menopause experience into a healthy, strong, and vibrant experience for, for her patients. We have a really in-depth conversation today, and I have to admit, I did not think I was going to learn as much as I did. Sometimes I feel like I've heard everything, and then I get on a podcast and realize I'm only just chipping at the surface. Um, one of the fabulous things about our conversation is Dr. Stein tells us about her new book, uh, Thrive Through Menopause, which basically acts as your one-stop guidebook. And it talks about everything from improving your sex life, improving your diet, your sleep, your happy factor. And she talks about some interesting ways that our body responds during menopause that can impact all of the complaints we hear so often. Uh, I think you're going to get a lot of useful information out of this, and you're probably going to want to pick up her book, put it on your bedside table, and grab a highlighter. Anyway, so tune in and have a listen to Dr. Stein. Hi, Daniela. Jackie, hi. Thank you for having me. I am so happy that we're going to have this conversation today. Um, Danielle, I just want to give a little background. I was at a wonderful event a few months ago in Burlington, Ontario, um, with Shirley Weir, the Menopause Chicks. And you were there speaking with Shirley. And I was fascinated by the conversation that you were having on this panel, um, there was a great turnout of women and there were so many questions. So I wanted to sort of reenact that conversation because it, it was gold. You gave so much, uh, thanks. <laughs> so many tips and information that women need to know. And it was just too much for me to remember. I have a very short memory. <laughs> so Danielle, look, can we just start with, can you tell me a little bit about your background, your experience? And yes. Yeah. Yes, let's do that. So I'm South African. I immigrated to Canada in 2010, so I initially also studied medicine in South Africa, and in South Africa there is a very big role 
of non-traditional medicine. So when people do seek care, you don't won't necessarily first go to your medical doctor. You might consider a spiritual healer. And using herbs are very common. And then also in the family that I grew up in, my family was very health conscious and lifestyle wasn't seen as lifestyle medicine, which I, I'm studying lifestyle medicine now. It wasn't seen as lifestyle medicine. It was just seen as lifestyle. So if you do have a cold or a cough, you know, before going to the doctor, you would first be taking vitamin C, fresh orange juice. There were other measures we would first put in place. We would have eucalyptus essential oils. We would have all these things in place way before you go to a doctor, if you do end up going to a doctor. And then coming to North America, I really, I, I was so surprised to find that because we don't struggle as much with HIV and TB and malaria and infectious diseases, but I was so surprised that people really struggle with lifestyle disease. Those would be things like diabetes, heart disease, your risk of dying from a stroke, all those things are really caused by your lifestyle, lack of movement, unhealthy diet choices. So these are things people didn't even know that they have so much power to change. So just for me, I have that benefit of having seen the two different lifestyles and the big impact lifestyle can have. And then to specifically see the impact that lifestyle has on menopause. I just found that profound. And that's where I've really been doing a lot of research. And I've had now this past 15 years that I've been implementing lifestyle changes with my menopausal patients. And that's really what I'm passionate about. So with menopause, and you have an incredible podcast, so informative. And I, I really love your podcast. And it, 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 it enables and equips your listeners to, to know what's their options, what's, what are their choices, you know, what to look out for, you know, which is incredible. But I felt that there was really that gap when women will come to me, whether they have hormone replacement therapy from the doctor or not. But there are other things. So even if you say, okay, you would be a good candidate for hormone replacement, here's your hormones then people will still come and say, but there are still other things. I'm maybe irritable. I'm not getting along as well with people as I used to. Some of my relationships are suffering. I gained weight. I I don't have any libido. You know, so they are Yeah, I've never heard any of these things before, Daniela. <laughs> I feel like you're reading my mind. <laughs> So, and that's really what I've been passionate about and what I've been doing a lot of research about, what I've been seeing patients for is what things can we implement outside of hormone therapy. So it's whether you're on hormone therapy or not, you should be implementing all these things to really improve your quality of life, to, to, to have joy again. You know, if you look back at where you were 10, 20 years ago and you're like, but I had joy there. I'm, I'm lacking some joy now. And why? And what can we do to put that joy back? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That is such a that's such a good point. Um, but I just want to go back a little bit. So sorry, when you were living in South Africa, yes, and everything was more lifestyle focused, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned vitamin C, like before that, your first line of defense was to look at your vitamins and your supplements before you go to the doctor. Yes. Um, I know here our first you know, our first response is usually to make a doctor's appointment <laughs> and we're very bad that way. Um, however, we are not in, like we are encouraged to take our supplements, but there's a lot of debate about what vitamins are actually absorbed and which ones are wasted on one. us. And yeah. And so I find that really fascinating because 
when you tell women in in North America, you know, you really need to make this about your lifestyle. We are so used to a quick fix, a pill, a shot, <laughs> a something to give us instant yes. relief. And we're not really trained. Well, I mean, we're not taught a lot about menopause as of yet, but we're not really trained to take that responsibility on and look at our holistic picture. Like what mm. what's going on with everything in our lives? Mm. And then also to really understand that, you know, so it's maybe not everyone in South Africa who had that lifestyle. It was my parents and the way I grew up in. A very close friend to my dad died of colon cancer when we were young. He was young. He had four little kids. And at that stage, mm -hmm. my parents, my dad worked at a university. My mom was very smart. She really researched it. So this was now before Google. And so they came up on all this research that they had access to at the university's library of the very big impact that your diet has specifically on colon cancer at that point and how certain foods will cause cancer and certain foods can prevent cancer. You know, so she, they really implemented that in our life to make sure that we eat veggies and fruit that are free from pesticides, foods that are not processed. So it is I think it's a very steep learning curve and that's that's hard and that's really something that I'm so passionate about and that's really the whole focus of my wellness clinic is to help people to really understand that what you eat, you are what you eat. All your food gets broken down, it gets absorbed into your body and it becomes part of your body. We have these little mitochondria, these energy cells in each one of our cells in our body and it really gets either broken down by our food, if our food is full of pesticides and toxins, or it gets built up. So there's there's a lot of science behind that for women with menopause, how your diet can influence your hot flashes, your diet influences your mood. Interestingly, 90% of your happy hormone gets made in your gut. Oh. So if your gut is unwell, then you are going to be miserable and sad. If they do stool cultures of people and they look at the bacteria in people's stool in their bowel movements, they see that there are certain bacteria more prevalent in happy people and certain bacteria more prevalent in sad, depressed people. And then they've even gone as far as doing stool transplants to see if you get someone's, yes, someone's <laughs> stool bacteria. Wait a minute. Someone else's gut, yes, and it will make them happier. But then the good news is you don't need a stool transplant. The oh, good news is thank God. you can do it yourself by making sure you remove some toxins in your diet and then toxins to easily explain toxins. There's many different toxins, but to make it easy for yourself, you can think of any food the way you see it on a farm, a whole food. That would be a good thing to eat. Veggies, fruit, the way you see things in a farm is good on a farm is good. Processed things would be things that if you buy a package from a grocery store and there's 30 ingredients listed, that is what we would call something processed, especially if there are little numbers and stars and things that you don't know what these are. That yes. Those are not whole foods and those are the things that's harmful for your gut. Does 30 ingredients, is that sort of a benchmark for process or do you just mean like a <laughs> list of, of ingredients? A list of ingredients. Anything really made in a factory is processed. Anything yeah. that you can see on a farm, if it's a corn, if it is a fruit, if it's a veggie, if it's an egg, if you can see it there on a farm, it's usually good. If Even that meat, if it comes 
from a farm, but it then goes through a factory, that's really where the problems, where you run into problems. Yeah. So it's not uh, a whole food anymore, but it becomes processed. It's hard to grocery shop in this environment, but, you know, um, there's that typical rule, you shop the perimeter of the store, right? You go for all the fresh fruits and veggies and meats. Once you get into the aisles, you're into the processed hell. Yes. That's yeah. a very that's a very good rule of thumb. Yeah. And small changes. You know, every every client that I work with is so different. I don't have a specific rule. So for someone who's already eating perfectly healthy, I'll say, how about you substitute some foods with organic foods? Whereas for someone else who's just eating out every day or maybe not even eating, and that I see so common in perimenopausal women, oh my goodness, so many women are starving themselves just because they're noticing weight gain and then they cut back on their calories. You know, for those people, I rather encourage to just add some veggies. So, so for everyone, healthy eating is really different and it's hard for me to make a, a statement because I can't cover everyone in a statement. But to, to just try to increase your veggie intake, and with most of my clients, I would work up to six portions. If you can try to get fit, fit six portions of veggies into your food, you'll naturally crowd out some of the processed foods by just adding veggies. Is a portion um, like a palm size? Would that be kind of... Yes, so that's a good one. And then, so for different things, so for spinach leaves, it would be a cup. Or for a corn, it would be a whole corn. For a sweet potato, it would be like a proper medium-sized sweet potato. So it's 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 a serving. It would be a cup, yes. So right. if you want to okay. get in six servings of spinach, it would be six cups of spinach leaves. So the way that most of my clients get that in is by spinach, you can easily saute. Then it becomes quite, even oh, if you yeah. start off with a big chunk, it comes, oh, it comes, it comes to nothing. It's yes. nothing. <laughs> then it's much easier to eat that, right? Yeah. Or a kale smoothie, you can, if you start mm -hmm. to make, blend things into smoothies, you can really get a lot of veggies into a small amount by making smoothies from it. Um, my daughter's homesick, but I'm going to tell you a secret. I make her smoothies and I hide spinach in it. So, oh, that's yeah. so clever. <laughs> spinach makes it so green. So my kids are not really fond of spinach. The other day, so my son is 12 now. He was cooking for us just a couple of days ago. And he had this beautiful pasta dish. And I added like this whack load of spinach on top of the food he made. He was initially so upset with me, but then as it cooked and it became less and less, he was, it was quite okay. And because it almost shrivels up, right? Yeah. I'm actually more mind blown that your 12 year old made dinner for you. <laughs> That's you know what? When, as I was going through this whole journey about eating healthy and eating healthy, I'm very convinced that involving your kids into this process is so critical because what you're feeding your kids now really helps to build part of their DNA. What your 12-year-old eats now determines whether your kid is going to develop type 2 diabetes as a 40-year-old. Um, that really predicts whether your child is going to get a cancer later in life. I see so many people invest so much money into their children's education, into their children's sports, 
but we should really be investing that money into our children's health. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. That I is... mean, not to go off on a tangent, but um, I am ADHD and highly suspect that my kiddo might be. And we we talk about focus and I did an intermittent fast um, for two weeks, just a very, very hardcore one, 22 and two so i fasted for oh 22. my goodness jackie yeah. you should have spoken to me first you can't do menopause and intermittent fasting at the same I time i just i do all the Big things one. daniela <laughs> <laughs> i am like the, the crash test menopause person but um i didn't lose any weight but i do want to say on the weight gain women have got to stop worrying about weight when it comes to our pride i mean the goal is to be healthy not 20 and you know, we're not going to get our body back maybe that we had at 2030, but we need to feel good and be healthy and strong. And that should be our goal. And once we're, yes. you know, the happiest girls are the prettiest girls. Audrey Hepburn said that. Um, but on the fast, uh, which I tried <laughs> and it wasn't actually as hard. I, I wasn't as hard as I thought. It was probably, if anything, a good reset for me. But what I did notice was my focus and clarity were unbelievable. Like, mm -hmm. I wish I didn't have to do a fast to do that, but um, mm -hmm. I I couldn't believe how much time yeah. I could spend on a task versus when I, because when you're only eating two hours a day, you are loading up with protein and photoestrogens, like you're, there's yes. no sugar, no processed stuff, because you've got to get through another 22 on that. And mm -hmm the difference, even the inflammation, my body changed yes. shape, even though I didn't lose weight. Um, so the inflammation went down, the focus went up. Um, I just felt really clear. So yes. yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. So there's a lot of research and science behind that, how directly our food impacts our mood. I have at my wellness clinic, I have people who come to me only for ADHD. So we're predominantly known for menopause, but it, no, it's not just menopause. It's, it's so many other things. So it's a big focus. Is is menopause? It's a big focus, but it's really lifestyle. So people come to me for ADHD, and they see a significant change when they start going on this diet. And then the focus with the diet, this intermittent fasting, is helpful. And then the other things that are really helpful is to exclude all those sugars and processed that she spoke about. So even if you're going through menopause and you want to increase your focus. If you can have this, um, these apps on your phone that you can use to scan all your foods that shows which foods have harmful and carcinogenic um, products in it, because there are some products that are illegal in Europe and that are allowed in our foods. You're kidding. And it will, yes, so it will show it to you if you just scan your food. So say it's a granola bar, for example, that you want to buy, then the app can also show you a different one that is just free from harmful additives. And it's usually those additives that's really harmful for people with ADHD. They tend to be more sensitive yes. to those additives. Absolutely. Well, um, if you don't mind telling me what some of those apps are later, I'll include so, them in our content. So, and and whoever the wherever your listeners are from, because I know you have listeners all over the world, and I don't want you to purchase an expensive app from somewhere else. You can use a local free app. So I recommend you just look online what app is in your area and which is free. I use Yuka, Y-U-K-A, and then there's Dirty 30 as well. And then if you can't find an app, there's a very good resource. It's called ewg.org, envi environmentalworkinggroup.org. 
And they have a list of all the pesticides that's really been shown in other countries that's carcinogenic, but that's still allowed to be maybe used in the USA. This is a um, US-based organization. Okay. And they have very good advice and, and your skincare products, because if you think about it, all your skincare is on your skin for that continuous period of time. So if you then use specific, if you try to avoid skincare products with harmful things, and that often we also see for people with ADHD, you know, that can worsen your your concentration if you're continuously exposed to a skincare product that's harmful for you. Wow, I yes, never thought that. Yes, and those are the toxins that I'm talking about. So mm-hmm. first with lifestyle medicine, we first want to remove toxins. So no matter how much other pills we give for your other things, if you're exposed to toxins the whole time, your body has such a hard time detoxing. Your body can't be focusing on other things as well. It first want to keep you safe. So it's always its first priority is to detox. So if you can try to decrease the amount of toxins, you know, and perfumes, these candles that we light that smell so good, it's yeah. typically not safe for us. Mm. <laughs> Our air fresheners, all those things, right? Just yeah, that makes sense. Yes, and especially for women going through menopause, even if your body and your liver metabolized all those toxins perfectly well your whole life, you might be going through a phase now where you have to be more gentle on your body. So just while your body is having a hard time dealing with these hormonal imbalances, take things easy on your body and avoid toxins in your body products, in your perfume. You can check all your beauty products on this ewg.org if it's safe or not, your skincare, your sunscreen, everything, because everything gets absorbed. Right. Okay. You just possibly changed my life. So <laughs> I I am seven years postmenopausal. Um, I'm not able to go on HRT for a reason. I have a heart condition. Um, however, you know, I, I and I think this is a big myth about menopause, a lot of women say to me when they're in peri, you're so lucky you're in menopause. I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. Uh, my symptoms get worse every year. And oh, I, boy, I'm sorry. That's okay. But I, I do feel like, you know, my husband's even said, is it possible something else is going on? Like it's not mm-hmm. menopause, but it is so hard to know right now because, um, because I can't go on HRT to see if that helps because mm-hmm. I, um, she 2.0 is a pretty busy little brand and I don't take the self-care that I, that I, you know, tell everyone else to do. So I'm a little bit of a hypocrite. I'm a lot of a hypocrite. I don't eat balanced meals all the time. I'm kind of on the go a lot. And I drink wine, which is also not good. And see, and that's the thing with wine. If you think about alcohol, that is a hand sanitizer that you clean your hands with. So that is a toxin to your body. So that is quite hard on your gut. It's hard on your liver. Daniela, don't do that to my wine. <laughs> oh, man, no. Okay, edit this out. <laughs> but um, those I do. Weeks, those, those two weeks that you did intermittent fasting, did you drink wine? Uh, once or twice, but I couldn't really. I, it went to my head right away <laughs> because, because I, yeah. <laughs> that's what I often tell clients when they come to work with me. It's, I say just for three weeks, just give me three weeks. And then for three weeks, they go very clean. Where, and we call it also elimination diet, where they really eliminate processed foods. They eliminate foods that are prone to cause inflammation. And they also eliminate their alcohol just for three weeks. Yeah, it makes a great deal of sense to do that. And then afterwards, we say, okay, let's put one thing back at a time. 
So then we maybe put dairy back and see how you're doing on that. No problem. Okay. Then at a different day, we'll maybe put gluten back. How you're doing on a different day, put sugar back. And then on a different day, put alcohol back. And maybe you're not, alcohol is not a problem for you at all. It's just for all my other patients going through menopause, alcohol seems to be quite a problem. (laughs) It is a problem. Like there's no denying it. I mean, I've said this before too, you know, it, 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 breaks down our collagen, which we're trying so desperately to preserve. It ruins our sleep, makes us gain weight. Sleep I mean, it's the big thing. Uh, yeah, and sleep, later, yeah, sleep and weight are two of the biggest mm-hmm. ones. Um, is it true that in menopause, our metabolism changes or yes. is it? It is. Yes, okay. definitely. It does change. Everything change. So estrogen plays quite a significant role in your metabolism. And then also after menopause, if you look at women before and after, they typically have a higher fat percentage and a lower muscle mass percentage. So even if your mom was exactly the same weight and she looked exactly the same after menopause, if you physically test her body, there will be a higher percentage of fat and a lower percentage of muscle. So we have to intentionally do things to increase our muscle mass because our natural process is to have a reduced muscle mass. The reason why muscle mass is so important is if it does happen, God forbid, that you get a hip fracture and you have very strong muscles, the day after your hip surgery, you'll get up, you'll walk around, and then within a couple of days, you'll go home. But for someone with very weak muscles, you know, people who have to, when they get up from a chair, have to use their arms to push them up, Those people after a hip fracture, they tend to be in hospital for two, three weeks. And and I work in hospital full time in a big hospital. I work in the Oakville Hospital. And that is quite a lot of that is what I see in hospital day to day. The significant difference for someone with strong, strong muscle mass, if they do break something, they just get an operation, they go back home. For someone with weaker muscles, we have to, they're too weak to get up. So it takes a couple of days working with physiotherapy, working with occupational therapy, just to get them strong enough to get up. And then once they do get up, it's another up to six weeks, maybe of a rehab stay that they need to get strong enough to be able to go home. And then your risk of dying within that first year of breaking a hip is 30%. So that's really, when you go through menopause, you're maybe 50, your life expectancy could be up to 90, 100 years. So you're halfway there. Yeah. And if you now have a decrease in muscle mass every year, you're going to lose some muscle, some muscle, some muscle. So you really have to sit down and think, what do you want the last year, 10 years of your life to look like? And then consider that your body is going to every year have 1% or 2% less muscle. So how much muscle do you need at 50 and to make a conscious effort to increase that muscle and then also that strength training looks different for different people you'll read in my book and on my blog that i'm very passionate about strength training but if you don't go to the gym and you now start doing heavy weights you might get significant injuries i've had clients you know Mm -hmm. with that as well (laughs) so i usually advise First, just to start doing some exercise, and then you can do it against your body's own resistance. So you might just want to do squats or push-ups, you know, so before you go to the gym, before you go to heavy weights, you might just want to go against your body's own weight. And it doesn't have to be expensive. You can look at YouTube videos, 
And there's many, if you go strength training for perimenopausal women, you'll see amazing videos, things that you can do at home. And then also to increase your protein intake, because that's what I see with a lot of women. Because they don't have enough protein in their diet, their body breaks down their own muscle for the protein their body needs. Oh, wow. Okay. That's almost a bit cannibalistic. But yes, it... but that's what happens with intermittent fasting, my friend. Uh-oh. <laughs> your body breaks down your own, it breaks down itself. So you want your body to first break down fat. Mm-hmm. But then you must make sure you have enough protein in your diet that your body doesn't have to break down your muscle. You want your body just to break down fat and not muscle. Right. And I am embarrassed to say that at my age, I'm only just learning that I have never had enough protein in my diet. Yes. Uh, so common for women. Really? Like, I thought I was the only one. And even my mm. daughter, um, you know, I'm, I've, we went to a nutritionist for her and you know, young girls, especially when they get their periods, can develop a lot of lethargy and um, iron deficiencies. So I realized in the morning I was sending her to school with what I thought was a good breakfast, but there wasn't enough protein. And protein for me, and I, I have read this and you can tell me if it's true or not, it also does impact your focus as well. Oh, significantly for sure. Okay. Yes. Yes, and so that is what's really important to me with this is to increase that awareness. And that's why I'm so grateful for your podcast, because there are all these things that can significantly improve your quality of life if you know about it. You know, if you don't know, you can just feel, and that's quite often why women gain weight as well. So there's many different reasons why women gain weight. The one thing is that your body composition does change naturally. The other thing is we tend to be less active as we when we get older. There are some people who, who are really proponents of saying no, a woman's metabolism doesn't slow down. It is her amount, her movement that slows down. And if you compare your daughter, how much she moves a day compared to how much you move, we do move significantly less as we get older. And then the other thing is diet. It can be cultural as well. When I grew up, it was very commonplace to see a man eat a steak and a woman would sit and eat a salad so that could be cultural as well that we malnourish ourselves for a longer period of time so that is you know also something to look at and then so for people who do not eat meat so it's great if your daughter does eat meat I know usually for teenage years no one wants to eat meat if she does eat meat that is great if she doesn't they are for my vegan patients you can really get by but you must be very smart about it you must Mm -hmm. make sure that you have hummus with every meal that you really push beans that you look at other sources of protein so it's it's so possible you just have to focus on it because it's not going to happen automatically yeah absolutely now what about the weight gain i know that I, i i don't believe that we all gain weight for the same reason um, just as we don't experience all the same side effects of menopause but it weight gain is one of the biggest things we hear about and it won't budge and you know we've talked a little bit before um, with Samantha um, from Samcor Trainer about how our body now works and as you mentioned strength training and we need we need the strength we need the muscle to burn the fat Um, yes but and that's key that is so key. your body your your body composition does change and if you can get your body composition kind of back to where it was with more muscle and less fat your metabolism will be faster 
because muscle does need more energy than fat. So that's really key for us is to build muscle, to try to get your muscle composition back to where it was last year, the year before. And you do that by strength training and by eating protein. And the next one is really movement, movement that's not stressful to your body. Because mm -hmm. that's the other thing that also happened at midlife. People really question their life and then they start doing these endurance races and that's very stressful to your body as well <laughs> you'll never see me do that <laughs> like okay. so, mutter and, and, <laughs> and, and it's not that it's bad it's very good you just have to do it in such a home in, in such a smart way that you're not too hard on your adrenals too hard on your body because your adrenal glands now have to work harder to secrete all these hormones because your ovaries are not working as hard so you don't want to stress it unnecessarily so to be aware of that Next thing is to really improve your sleep. So when you don't sleep well, you will crave more unhealthy foods the next day because yes. you're tired and your metabolism will slow down. And that is one of the reasons why I'm so passionate. The talk that you heard me give was specifically a talk on sleep. Mm -hmm. Often when people come to me about menopause, they come about so many things. And I always tackle sleep first. Because when you sleep better, you are happier the next day. You have more energy to cook nutrient-dense foods. You have more energy to go for a walk. You're more present with your family. You're less irritable. Your relationships and suffer. And then when you sleep, that sleep on its own make, has an impact on your weight. So I didn't know that a lack of sleep can slow down your metabolism. I had no idea, actually. You are You are full of all these interesting information. But like, for example, last night, this is terrible, but I went to my parents and stayed over there because I'd picked them up from the airport. And I forgot to bring my melatonin and my magnesium. And maybe it was psychological. I could not sleep and I was exhausted. And I was up till three in the morning with my mind racing. Did you have a glass of wine before? Not gonna lie. Yes. See, so Jackie, I see it with so many of my clients. They say, don't take away my wine because it's my only <laughs> vice, my only joy that I have left. Don't take that away. But I see it again and again. So when I work with clients one-on-one, -on -one, I actually sign them up for a six-month package because I found that if I everything we talk about in this podcast, these are things that you have to implement over time. You know, mm -hmm. it's not things that's going to be fixed tomorrow. It's really things that you have to slowly implement over time. So what they do as part of this package is they work with a health coach and they enter every night, they enter their sleep. We can monitor with a Fitbit, which goes straight to the medical yeah. records, how much they're sleeping. Do they go into their deep sleeps? What did they eat the day before? And then it's easier to track. But mm. you can just keep a journal. Your listeners can just keep a journal every night. How good did you sleep? It can be subjective. It doesn't have to be a Fitbit. And then did you have wine the night before or not? And then you can kind of keep track. So the nights that I do have wine, people often fall asleep, but then they're up three o'clock in the morning because yes. they never go into their deep sleeps. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me too, um, I think because I knew I didn't have my melatonin, which helps me to stay asleep. Yes. And I had so much on my mind that my mind just raced and raced and raced. But um, I just find it fascinating. Like I, we, we know that's, lack of sleep isn't good for us. We're foggy the next day. We're, you know, no energy. It's hard to function. But I really didn't know it slows down your metabolism. That's pretty fascinating. Yes, for sure. 
It does. And then the other thing that I would like your listeners to know is that women need more sleep than men. So that is quite often that people would kind of, if you were a partner and your husband goes to bed 12 o'clock at night and he gets up seven in the morning, it's easy to get in rhythm with him. But to really be aware that you do need more sleep, usually eight to nine hours at least of sleep. And our most optimum time of sleep, of repair, is 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Oh, okay. And that's very hard, especially if you have little kids. The house only gets quiet by 10 p.m. So that's the time when I can do my most productive work because this is the house is clean and quiet and now I can get doing yes. my things. But as I did more and more research and sleep and I helped more people sleep, and it's not only perimenopausal women, it's throughout life, children, there's so much science that show that your deepest core time is really from 10 o'clock at night to 2 o'clock in the morning. So if you do not need as much sleep or you have a lot of work, it might be worth your while to set your alarm for 5 or 6 in the morning and try to get some of the work in the morning done, but get to bed earlier. And our, our biological clocks really got disrupted with our electric lights. If you look that up to 100 years ago, when the sun goes down, people would be awake for one or two hours after the sun is down, but it would be with a more dim light and people would go to bed earlier. And then there were times when you look back at um, literature from Shakespeare time where people will talk about the midnight hour where they get up, they have a snack and they go back to bed. So they would have a much longer time when they would sleep. And they would be okay to get up in the night, go to the washroom, do eat something, and then, the, but it's at candlelight, and they'll go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah. So they won't get stressed out about being awake. I mean, you and me, when we wake up in the middle of the night, we stress out because now I'm not going to fall back to sleep. Yes. Yeah. You start. I I never look at the clock because if, if I see what time it is, it's going to put me into overdrive. But we eat by um, we eat dinner by candlelight all the time. You do. Oh, good yeah. for you. I, I've grown up like that. I I just oh, find it so me. relaxing. And when we have company, I don't like over. I don't like overhead lights. Period. Period, but oh, I am a you. big fan of candle light. Um, it is more relaxing, and that's good a good point. So, if 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 one of the biggest struggles women are having is weight gain, I think you've listed some really good places for us to look at our own lifestyle and habits to see where we can maybe impact. So, for the majority of people that I work with, first I will say to just increase protein and to increase veggies. Okay. before you take things away so really make it easy for yourself don't try to go on something that's too hard that you won't be able to maintain the rest of your life and something that you can do is you can use an app and i recommend getting a free app where you scan your food for the first week or two because quite often because you were asking me how big is a portion quite often we think that we are getting enough food but then maybe it is not enough if you look at the amount of protein in an egg that one egg is not going to be enough you might need three eggs you know and all of us would think oh my goodness I cannot eat three eggs but you can <laughs> yeah you can I mean it I think we're just trained there's old thinking that butter was bad and and eggs yes. you know for cholesterol and now we're exactly. trying to look at it from a different angle saying well now now we're in menopause, so we need more more and things. And if you are um, vegan, you can get a good vegan protein powder that you can just add. You can calculate that if you scan all your food during the day on in a, an app that logs the amount of protein and you see you're short, 
Usually the easiest way is in the morning to make yourself a spinach smoothie. Then you can get extra veggies in and extra protein. So that's really what I recommend to people when they come to me for weight. I don't want anything to be overwhelming. I just say add protein. Make sure you eat protein three times a day and add veggies. Try to get in six cups. Then after they've done that for two weeks and a month and they say, oh, I'm quite good at it. The next thing is you can start cutting back on things that doesn't have nutrition in them. Sugar doesn't have nutrition in them. Chocolate doesn't have nutrition. Chips doesn't have nutrition in them. And it's much easier to cut back on that when you're really full with healthy foods. Because mm-hmm. your body usually craves those unhealthy things because it lacks some nutrients. Mm-hmm. But if you are eating six cups or six portions of veggies every day, after a month, you're going to notice you're not going to have any cravings anymore. Then it's much easier then to say, okay, let's see, let's try to cut back if you haven't done so naturally on foods that does not have nutrition in them. And foods without nutrition would be things like bagels and pizza and pasta. Yeah. You know, then it's easier to kind of cut back, cut back, cut back on that. What about rice? Rice too? So white rice, no, does not have any nutrition in it. So mm-hmm. what you can try to do is to try to replace it with wild rice. Yeah. So we have against my kitchen on my um, fridge door, I have this rainbow graph with all the different foods of the rainbow. And you want to try to eat all the different colors of the rainbow every day. So for white, you don't really need white, but if you eat um, wild rice, it's usually purple or um, brown, then you kind of can tick off that day that you've covered your brown and purple box. And then you want to cover your green box. You want to cover cover your red and your orange. So you want to try to eat all of those different colors every day because that helps you to know that you covered all your nutrients. Mm-hmm. So you're not just going to add broccoli to all your meals. Yeah. You're going to try to cover all those colors. Okay, that's a really good um, that's a really good tip. That's going to be going on my fridge as soon as my printer starts working. Um, I can send you. <laughs> I can send you what I send my patients. It's from the institute, or you can just Google it for your um, podcast listeners. You can look on the Institute of Functional Medicine dot org ifm dot org Institute of Functional Medicine, and there is a lot of information and patient handouts there on all these foods that have science. Of behind it that can really optimize your nutrition. That's fabulous. So basically, um, Danielle, when you said that, like what you've said right now has made so much sense to me because when I said I'm not, I haven't been feeling great, I'm lethargic, I, I don't have clarity or focus, I just feel yucky a lot. Um, you know, there there are many things happening that I don't maybe need hormone replacement therapy. I I need to look at my nutrients. I need to up my protein. I need to move more. I need to sleep better. And sleep is, well, you you speak to women every day about this. You know, whether you're having alcohol or not, sleep just becomes something that eludes us as we go through this phase. And you hear women waking up at the witching hour all the time. So of course you're tired and then your metabolism slows down. So it's a a catch 22, but I do love the days when I can get really good workout in or exercise in and you go to bed and you are fitfully exhausted. That's, I miss those days. I don't get them very often, but I feel like there's hope listening to this that, you know, it's not 
you know, like for many of us who can't take hormone replacement therapy, we think, oh no, now we have to suffer through this, but we don't. And you don't. So that is really why I'm so passionate about menopause. That's where my whole journey started is, and I wrote a book about things that you can do if you cannot have hormone replacement therapy. So I've had many patients, so patients who can't use it is patients who had breast cancer and it's specifically an estrogen positive breast cancer. Some breast cancer people could, but then what do they do? Or people who had a blood clot. And then I had a good chunk of patients who just thought they couldn't use hormone replacement therapy because of a study that came out 20 years ago. A lot of those things are now debunked, but or newer research came out with newer results. But because I had such a big population of patients who came to me who could not go on hormone replacement and they wanted to know what can they do, I started this whole guide with different symptoms and different um, treatments, herbs that have science behind them that are helpful. And I compiled a book of that to help you for non-hormonal management for menopausal symptoms. But then in the end, I decided to just for this book to be completely comprehensive, so it's your complete guide, I then added the hormonal treatment options as well, so that you do know what your hormonal treatment options is. But I would love for all your listeners to have a look. It's on my website. It's daniellastein.com. And my book is Thrive Through Menopause. You can order my book. You can also order it on Amazon. Mm -hmm. If you don't see it on Amazon yet, the pre-orders are on my website, okay. daniellastein.com. And you can order my book and you would love that. Jackie, you are going to love it. It's everything is in there. How to optimize your sleep, how to be more toned, how to be stronger, how to have more focus, how to have better sex. All of these things are possible. There's other patients that have implemented these steps that I have in the book so successfully that I want to share it with the world. That's really my heart. Because I can see only so many patients, you know, because you can just imagine to work with someone over a period of six yeah. months. I can only sign up so many patients. I'm only seeing patients in Ontario. But we've had such great success. My heart's desire is to su- share that success with everyone in the world. And purchasing a book is much less expensive than seeing a doctor and a health coach and a nutritionist and a dietitian. Everything is in th- there. So you can really access that through my book. I think that's really critical because one of the issues um, I find isn't that there is a lack of information. It is a lack of knowledge of where to find that information. And you can spend a lot of money going to different specialists and, um, or, you know, sometimes you don't even know where to go and your doctor doesn't really know how to direct you. So that's where many of us feel quite lost. So having these comprehensive book like yours acts like a Bible, like a guide good bedside reading. <laughs> and I will definitely be picking up a copy of your book because it, I think it's something Thanks, I need Jackie. to really sit down and focus on and, and have a look. I wish you could write a shorter version for people with ADHD, <laughs> but I do, I, I'm I do gonna... have a shorter version. So I actually have, a, I, what I created was an online course. And the way I have that online course it's very short because that was the focus and I've given it to my patients and they would come back with me with feedback, feedback, and we made it shorter and shorter and just the hot things that really improve their quality of life. And then I have it so you can access it online on your cell phone. Then it has things written because some people read easier, but then I'm also saying it on a video because some people here rather want to watch, some rather want to listen. Yeah. So you have those different options. 
So you can look on my website. There's a link for that. And if you pre-order the book now before it's available on Amazon, you get that for free added, the online course. Oh. So it's like a mini summary of simple things that you can implement to improve your quality of life right away so that you sleep better right away and it's things we spoke about now so it might say less alcohol it might say earlier <laughs> bedtime it might yeah. say no screen time for the two hours before you go to bed yeah and, that's... and even coffee is something Ooh. you know for people like you you definitely what we've been talking about now you definitely have adrenal fatigue I don't know if it's medically sound to diagnose someone over a podcast <laughs> <laughs> but then if you do have adrenal fatigue it means that those things are is that's what make wakes you up three o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and the way you're more gentle on your adrenal glands is by really optimizing your nutrition you'll have to maybe add some walnuts brazil nuts to your food to make sure you have more healthy fats in your food and avocado every day especially if you have heart concerns this research showing if it's not an apple a day that gives the doctor away, it's an avocado a day that keeps oh, the away. Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. I love avocado. Yes, yes. Okay. If you can focus on that. There are so many things you can implement by that book. The book is not just going to help you through menopause. It's also going to help you for the 50 years behind that because mm -hmm. it really explains all the lifestyle measures that you can implement the rest of your life to have an amazing life, to be stronger, to have more focus, to have more joy, to be more intentional with your family, you know, to be healthy, to be present, to thrive. <laughs> Daniela, this is amazing. You have given me so much to think about, so much to look forward to, and I've got a lot of changes I have to make, but I'm excited about it. I, I'm excited to see the progress, and I am going to order your book, and I'm going to order it early so I get the course, um, and I'm going to include all this information in the newsletter, and you'll see it on the site, but uh, I think I think all women should look at getting this book as their guide, their pocketbook to getting through this. Thank you so Thanks. much for joining me. Thanks so much for hosting me, Jackie. Take care.